Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, the parable of the unmerciful servant, page 975 in the Bible. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he, beg as he began the settlement, a man who owned 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he pay he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and begged to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into, into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went, to told, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And Agar, his master, turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owned. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the, the, word of the Lord. Join me in prayer, would you? Father, we've heard the gospel reading today. It's a powerful word of truth. And we pray now that you would open our hearts so that we could hear the living voice of Jesus speaking to us. Here's our simple prayer, God. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Remarkable thing happened this past January, late in January, beginning into February as well, in a courtroom in Saskatchewan, a truck driver was on trial. You know, you've heard about it. Um, the truck driver that smashed into the bus of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. Uh, a horrible, horrible act of irresponsibility that caused untold suffering for so many. And in that courtroom in Saskatchewan, a remarkable thing happened. That courtroom was charged with the families, with their agony, with their grief, as they were able to make victim impact statements speaking to that truck driver. And yet the remarkable thing that occurred is that many of those families spoke three magic words. I forgive you. It raised all sorts of questions for many people. Is there that sort of power? 
to heal. Those words, what, what effect did they have? Here were these families whose lives were irrevocably changed. Sons killed, husbands died. How on earth can those families heal from a past that they did not ask for and they cannot change? How could this truck driver, having committed this horrible crime of negligence and irresponsibility, how could he live with himself from that past that he cannot undo? Through three words, I forgive you. Forgiveness is this remarkable power that God has given to us. This power that can heal a past that we cannot change, that we remember, but we cannot change. We either are powerless to do anything about it. And yet those words of forgiveness can heal that past. Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness as a tool that can heal the world. And the only way to heal this world is through forgiveness. Now what's remarkable as I was thinking and reflecting on this and studying for the sermon is there's a growing body of scientific research that verifies what Jesus is talking about. There's a body of scientific research that is looking about the actual physical power of forgiveness to assist and aid in the healing of our bodies. Science is just verifying what Jesus has called us to, validating this call to forgiveness for us to take the hand of God and walk through that door of forgiveness and walk into a new reality where there is healing and hope and a new possible life. It's called the kingdom of God. In forgiveness, Jesus heals the world. Now, of course, we have lots of questions about that. In fact, the apostle Peter, Jesus' very brash disciple and apostle, had some questions for Jesus about this whole forgiveness thing. Jesus has been talking about forgiveness, about restoration and reconciliation, and, and Peter sort of sidles up to Jesus, and uh, so Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive the brother or sister who sins against me? And he sort of tosses out a number that he thinks is pretty extravagant. Seven times? Jesus, his response is, Peter, don't play the numbers game with forgiveness. It's not a numbers game. Okay, if you want to throw out a number, here we go. 70 times 7, Peter. That's how many times. Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, don't place a limit on forgiveness. If you do, you've misunderstood the reality. Peter's question is a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is about. As soon as we begin asking the question, how far, how much, how many times we misunderstand what forgiveness is. And that's often a barrier that many of us have as we approach this whole reality of forgiveness, as we think about forgiving those who have harmed us. There are many misguided, wrong-headed ideas of what forgiveness is, and they can actually provide a barrier for us to entering into this work of forgiveness. So before we actually talk today about what is forgiveness, I think it's probably good for us to take a little sidebar and say and name what isn't forgiveness? What is forgiveness not about? Forgiveness, it's really important to note, is not a disregard of justice. 
Okay? It is not a disregard of justice. Forgiveness is never a shrug of the shoulders, uh, uh, no worries about it. Because if we care about truth, if right and wrong matter, forgiveness is not a quick dispensing of justice. Forgiveness is never letting people get away with something. Um, often that's what people think forgiveness is. They cheapen it to think, ah, oh, you know what, it's just a quick, a quick get out of jail pass. Forgiveness doesn't mean staying with the people who hurt us. Forgiving an abusive father doesn't mean you stay under the same roof for that father. Okay, forgiveness is intolerant of injustice. It is. Forgiveness never means disregarding claims of justice. Forgiveness also does not deny or excuse the wrong. Very close to this other one, but distinct nonetheless. Because here's the thing. We only forgive those things that we blame. You can only forgive what you blame. In fact, I'm going to make it intensify. You can only forgive what you condemn as wrong. So forgiveness always involves condemnation of something as wrong. It's not only to name it as wrong, but to condemn it as wrong. And that's hard for us, right? Because we, like our culture, shapes us. We're a judgment-free, no-fault culture, right? You're in an accident, no fault, no worries. How do we accept blame or condemnation? And we get shaped by that. And so we don't like to blame others, partly because we don't like it pinned on us. That's one of the biggest difficulties in receiving forgiveness is that it comes with some blame attached. It comes with condemnation. Someone has named, this is wrong what you did. But there is no forgiveness if the wrong is denied or excused. Another thing forgiveness is not. A forgiveness does not mean reconciliation or restoration. Now, forgiveness is always aimed in that direction. Forgiveness is always connected with reconciliation. But when you tie the two so tightly together, it is an unhelpful thing. They are always connected. They are always aimed. Forgiveness is always aimed at reconciliation, restoration, but they are distinct. They're very different. So what forgiveness does is it clears away the relational rubble in a harmful situation where offense, where a conflict has happened, it clears away the rubble. It creates the space where then the process of reconciliation can begin, where then two people who are set apart can begin the path of coming together. It doesn't guarantee reconciliation will happen. It just creates the conditions in which reconciliation can happen. And finally, one last thing, forgiveness is not. It is not easy. It is not a one-shot, boom, done deal. It's not easy. It is a hard journey. And it sometimes takes a long time. We've got to give ourselves the freedom to have that time. It involves emotions that are hard, hearts that are ripped and frayed. It is hard work. But it is an important journey, a vital journey for us to take. So what is forgiveness then? Jesus tells us a parable, a fairly clear, simple, obvious parable about forgiveness. But he's talking about not only some of the, the steps and paths of forgiveness, but also the, the radical nature of what forgiveness is all about. In this parable, as we heard it told, 
there is a servant of a master who has amassed a massive debt. I mean, what Jesus talks about, the, the contemporary equivalent would be billions of dollars. That's the, it is unpayable. It is just an unpayable debt for this servant. The master comes and says, time's up. I want my money. Debt recalled. He can't do it. Tosses him in prison. You're going to be there until you pay back that debt. The servant pleads for mercy. Please, just give me time, he asks. I'll pay it back. Just give me time. And the master is moved to compassion. And he cancels the debt and he sets him free. The master does three things that are at the heart of forgiveness. In verse 27, you can read that. It is a compact outline of what forgiveness entails, what we are called to do. The master first, he shows pity. And then he cancels the debt. And then he releases the indebted one. Here's the basic foundations for all of our forgiving work, right there, those three core elements. Now, all the ways forgiveness plays out in our lives is going to be very different because each of our situations are unique and different. So we're going to riff on this one theme of forgiveness in many different ways, but here is the basic script for all of our forgiving work, these three. He shows pity. He cancels the debt and he lets them go. First one, he shows pity. What he's done is he's seen the person. The first work of forgiveness is to see the person who has hurt you or who was indebted to you, to see them with new eyes. You rediscover their humanity. The first step is a new vision you have towards the person who has harmed you. The, the, the master shows pity. Now, that's a really weak English translation. Maybe it's the best, but the, 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 it's a really strong, powerful Greek word, and it means to sort of have your guts just turn and churn in you. You are just moved viscerally to compassion towards this other person, towards the misery this person is. You, you see their situation in a whole new way. This is where forgiveness starts. It, it begins with a new vision of another, new eyes to see the person who has hurt us. See, when we get hurt by others, what happens is we see others who have hurt us through a filter of pain. And through that filter of pain, that distorts the reality of the other person. We don't see them accurately then. We see them one-dimensionally. We see them only as the hurt they have caused us. What we do is, is a little like cartoonists do. You ever see cartoonists or caricatures? You know, maybe in the waterfront during the summertime, there's someone with their easel in their stand. And caricatures, what they do is they'll, they'll do a portrait of a person, but they'll usually accent or highlight or exaggerate one piece to... <laughs> you know, make a little fun of the person. So maybe it's the ears, and you know, they're big Dumbo ears, or a nose, and it's a huge schnoz. For me, it's probably like a big global bald head or something like that, right? But it exaggerates. It sort of makes that person one-dimensional. And in our pain, when we're hurt, often that's how we see others. We create a caricature of them, a one-dimensional view, and it is just the pain, the hurt they have caused us. And forgiveness, however, begins to see that person differently, to begin to see the commonalities between that person and myself. Not the differences anymore, but the commonalities. One 
theologian Miroslav Volf, whose family lived through and the, the Croatian-Serbian wars, which were just horrible conflicts, rooted in race and ethnicity and religion, and atrocities occurred as he struggled through all of the, the call to reconcile and to find forgiveness. One thing he noted, he says, uh, our tendency, forgiveness, he says, founders, forgiveness stumbles because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. We're not seeing each other correctly, accurately. And so the first act of forgiveness is to see the humanity of those you are in conflict with, to rediscover their humanity, to see a person who is a mix of, of lies and truthfulness, a mixture of kindness and meanness, a broken, a fragile human being, just like yourself, right? Now, this doesn't turn them into a close friend. Uh, this doesn't diminish the wrong that they've committed, but you see them as a person, as someone who shares the human condition. And this is critical because forgiveness is always an interpersonal dynamic and reality. You only forgive persons. And so you can only forgive someone when you see them as a person, as a human. So he took pity. His vision changed. Second thing he did, he relinquished the right to get even. He canceled the debt. Forgiveness is about a new vision, but it's also about a decision, an act, a choice that is made. To release your right, and it is your right, to exact punishment. Someone has hurt you in the way the world is formulated. It is a just world. Punishment needs to be executed. There's a right for you. You have a rightful claim uh, to press uh, for some form of justice. But forgiveness is the right, it relinquishes the right to exact that punishment. And again, i got to underscore, it assumes naming and blaming and condemning. It assumes that you're not excusing the wrong. But to forgive is to blame, but not to punish for that act. The heart of forgiveness is this relinquishment of retribution, this relinquishment of payment. Now look at the king. The king cancels the debt. What happens to the debt? The debt doesn't poof, disappear, right? The debt is still there. The king absorbs the debt of this servant. The king is the one who pays for it, essentially. In forgiveness, there's always a cost. You are either going to make someone pay for it or you are going to absorb that cost. When you're sinned against, you, you lose something big. Perhaps it's happiness, perhaps it's a reputation, peace of mind, a relationship, whatever, an opportunity. But you experience a cost. What are you going to do about it? Suppose someone has hurt your reputation, for instance. And you can try to resolve that, to restore that, by making someone pay for it, right? You can voice public criticisms about that person. You can try to pay them back. You can try to take them down. Or you can forgive that person who has wronged you. You can refuse payback. 
and you can absorb the damage to yourself. You'll have to do the restoration of your reputation in time. That's, that's your work then. But in all cases where there is a wrong committed, a hurt, harm, there is debt, and there's no way to deal with it without someone suffering. Either you make the other person suffer or you voluntarily suffer on their behalf. Forgiveness, it is always costly. It's emotionally very expensive. It takes blood and sweat and tears. Uh, but it is essentially this act of release, of relinquishment. And an interesting thing about that act is that it is not conditioned on the other person's repentance. That often comes as a barrier to a lot of people's forgiveness, is this assumption that that other person first must confess and repent before I can forgive. But again, we're trying to learn how God, how to forgive like God forgave us. And the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us and our sins were forgiven. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans. The gift of forgiveness is given to us before we ever come with our confession, with our repentance. Our forgiveness is not conditioned on our repentance. Now, of course, we still need to receive it, right? And repentance is often our form of receiving that gift of forgiveness. And similarly, our forgiveness of others is not conditioned upon their repentance. Now, of course, their being forgiven is conditioned on their repentance, right? Without their repentance, an offender will remain untouched by the forgiveness we give. Maybe they're going to refuse to forgive because they can't take the sting of condemnation. Maybe their forgiveness, accepting that they're too ashamed of their wrongdoing to accept their forgiveness. It feels like it's something they cannot psychologically manage. Maybe they're too afraid of the consequences. And so they can't repent and receive forgiveness. But here's the thing. Sometimes our forgiveness actually prepares the way for someone else's repentance. Jessie is a young woman in her late 20s, who at age nine was abandoned by her alcoholic mother. Whole nine years, first nine years of her life, were filled with what you can imagine is just the chaos, the tumult of an alcoholic parent who's out of control. And yet at one point, her mom just leaves. In the succeeding years, no contact whatsoever. Jessie didn't make any overtures, her mom made no overtures. And somehow in her late 20s, something turns inside Jessie and she thinks, I need to touch base with her mom. And so she locates her, hunts her down, finds her address, says we need to talk. And one day shows up at her door, knocks on her door, and she's welcomed into her living room where they have a conversation. And interestingly, Jessie begins by asking her mom for forgiveness. She says, I, I've wronged you. Because I, in these successive years, have never thought of contacting you or reaching out to try to touch base with you. And she asks, can you forgive me? And her mother says, of course, of course I forgive you. And then Jessie waits. And there's an awkward silence because her hope, her hope is that her mother would reciprocate but all there is is silence. And then something happens in Jessie's heart and she knows. And she takes steps and she sits at her mother's knees. 
and takes her mother's hands in hers and she says, Mom, you hurt me as a little girl. I was terribly hurt, so sad. But I want you to know I forgive you. I want you to know I don't think you meant to do that. I think you still love me. And my life turned out okay. I'm all right. And I forgive you. Jesse realized in that moment that her mother's shame that she was carrying was too great for her even to bring it out into the open. It was too painful for, for Brit to bring that out. And, and hearing, however, that her daughter loved her and forgave her gave her the courage to do what she could not do for herself. She was able to forgive in herself. She was able to repent something for which she could never have forgiven herself for. Now remember, forgiveness is like spiritual surgery for both people involved. And very often, people caught in their own brokenness and sin just aren't able to take those steps. And in forgiving others, often the power of love to overcome the power of evil is unleashed and it releases repentance in others. Repentance is often the consequence of our forgiveness, not necessarily the condition. So you release, you relinquish the person from their debt. This act, this choice, this decision is made. And then one last thing we see the master doing, he sets them free. So the prisoner, the servant was in jail, but he sets them free. We release, in our forgiving, we release people from the prison that we've kept them in. We release them to enter into a new story, to walk through that door of forgiveness and to enter into a new story, a new reality of God's making. And this is the process part of forgiveness. So it starts with a vision. You see people with new eyes. It begins next with a decision. I release, relinquish my right to pay back. And then it is this hard work process of, of sort of re-narrating the story I'm going to live with this person revising the emotions I feel about this person. It involves changing our feelings about that person who hurt us. It's a hard thing. Forgiveness is often granted before it's felt. You can make a choice, a decision to forgive, but sometimes it takes weeks and months and years before you begin to feel forgiveness, feel goodwill towards that other person. And sometimes it's tenuous and hesitant and faltering. But that choice to forgive leads us to speak and act and feel differently towards the person. Before we felt hate and anger, whether that's passively or just straight up aggression towards the other person, we wish bad things for them. But we forgive, and now we revise those emotions, those feelings. We don't vilify or demonize them. We don't keep replaying the hurt so that we can feel virtuous and the better part of the whole deal, we actually begin to hope for their good. If we see them, we shake their hand and we say, glad you're doing well. You pray positively for their growth. And you do those things and maybe they feel really fake. Maybe they feel really hesitant. This takes time, right? But any feelings of goodwill as we walk through that door of forgiveness with another person we walk into a new reality and we need to adjust ourselves to that new reality that that person is in and we are in 
So we release the person. We set them free from whatever prison they've had. This is a challenging work. And I bet many of us think, where do you get the power to do that? Because you know the power of pain and the power of hate, that how it can grip your heart. How do I get rid of that? How do I find release from that? How can I find the power to forgive? I don't have the strength to do this. And you're right, you don't. In ourselves, you and I do not have, we need a power beyond ourselves to see that offender as something more than the hurt they give us as human. We need a greater, greater strength to cancel the debt that is owed to us. We need a deeper power within us to release that person into a new story and reality. One of the most important things we have to do is meditate, linger long on God's forgiveness of us. Focus your attention on how much God has forgiven you. This is what this whole parable Jesus teaches is about. It's illustrative of this core practice and reality. The servant who was forgiven so much, an extraordinary amount he's been forgiven, cannot pass that same mercy along to another. He takes it for granted, does not appreciate what's been given to him. If you struggle to forgive, keep taking fresh looks at the enormous debt God has forgiven you. Keep looking at the cross, at the cost Christ has paid for you. All of that sin wiped clean, forgiven. And rejoice, rejoice in the promise that God gives, that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. God's forgiveness of us is on the basis, uh, our forgiveness of others is on the basis and foundation of God's radical, lavish forgiveness of us. And whenever you're, you're struggling to forgive, remember, it, it is, you're not going to be able to do it within yourself. So simply pray, God, I don't have it to forgive. You can admit that. But give me your forgiveness. Give me your power to forgive this other person. Forgiveness is central to the Christian faith. So important is forgiveness. So central to the gospel of Jesus Christ is forgiveness that Jesus teaches a parable of judgment. That's what this parable is. And in it, he shows us how ugly unforgiveness is, how completely counter to the way of Jesus it is. This servant who's been shown such extravagant mercy, freshly freed from prison, first thing he does, what does he do? He turns around, pay up to someone who owes a much smaller debt. And everyone is aghast at that. And the master can't stand it. He's repulsed by it. And he says, you wicked servant. This is what unforgiveness looks like. It is wickedness. For us to choose not to forgive is to live at odds with the gospel. It is an affront to God, to his mercy. And the parable ends with one of the most sobering conclusions. The servant is thrown back into prison where he's tormented and tortured. And the exclamation point Jesus puts at the end of this parable is this, these final words. This, then, is how my heavenly Father will treat all of you unless you forgive from the heart 
It's not in the text, but I think, boom, there's a mic drop right there. Now, I imagine some of you might think, isn't that a little over the top? Where's your compassion, Jesus? Where's the compassion? Isn't that cruel of the master to treat him like? Isn't that cruel of God to treat us like that? But remember, Jesus, this is a teaching parable. Jesus is trying to paint a picture for us of what forgiveness is like, its foundations, but also what forgiveness is, unforgiveness is like. And Jesus is saying, if, if you who have been shown such mercy by God, if you do not forgive others, if you remain in unforgiveness, you want to know what that's like? It is like a prison where you will be tortured. It's less a condemnation from God and more, again, a statement of the reality about what unforgiveness does in us. If you do not forgive, if you do not learn how to release the bitterness, that bitterness is going to pass into you. It is going to distort your character and your heart. It'll twist your character. It'll torment your memories. There's going to be misery. It is going to be like a prison where you are tormented. You will not be living a free life you will be captive to whatever has happened in the past. And the key out of that prison are three words. I forgive you. Words of freedom. Words that heal. Words that heal the wounds of the past that we cannot change and that we cannot forget. They're words that give birth to a hope for a new future. Whenever we forgive, we are bringing light into dark places. Whenever we forgive, we are like God. May God make us all forgiven forgivers. Let's pray. God, this forgiveness, it is both our greatest joy and our deepest calling. We thank you for the radical, profound nature of your forgiveness of us, God. And we thank you for our cautionary parable here that sobers us straight to remind ourselves that we cannot take this beautiful gift for granted. God, I pray that through your spirit, you would make so palpably real for each one of us our own forgiveness through your gracious mercy shown on the cross of Jesus Christ. God, would you represent the cross, that act for us, vividly before all of our imaginations, before our hearts, make it so real that we might understand the depth of your love and your mercy and your compassion for us. And may that flow of mercy and compassion flow out into free acts of forgiveness for others. Make us wise forgivers, but make us forgivers like you, God. Thank you for this, this beautiful act. Difficult, yes, but beautiful because it heals the world. May we be agents of forgiveness and reconciliation, God. Teach us this lost art of forgiveness. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.